Ete te ete ta rarau mai ki te hui. Kumihingarangi te nei emihiatune kia koutou kato. Welcome to the hui Maori current affairs for all New Zealanders. Etaroake nei. A David and Goliath battle between a tauranga marae and big business. We run the risk of our kids being poisoned every day. And it stretches all the way to Western Sahara. We ask New Zealand farmers to stop buying our phosphate. We're actually causing real harm to people on the other side of the world. We're not clean, green New Zealand. We're perpetuating a lie. We look back at the fight over phosphate. And we speak to Māori, who are taking our government to task at the UN Climate Change Summit. You can see how much our big economic industries uh, really impacts negatively on our environment. So we have so much to deal with. Over the last week, leaders around the globe have gathered in Glasgow for the United Nations Climate Change Summit COP26. As part of Aotearoa's commitment to reducing global warming, our government has pledged a 50% reduction in greenhouse emissions by 2030. But back home, our economy continues to be driven by agriculture, a major contributor to greenhouse emissions. Agriculture here is fuelled by a mineral that's taking a toll on tangata whenua. In 2020, the haukainga of Whariro Marae told the hui pollution from phosphate was forcing them off their whenua. And an indigenous group on the other side of the world say they're being impacted by our use of it too. Kea Cleo Fraser, tēnei pūrō. And a note, this story was filmed in 2020. It's New Zealand's dirty little secret. We're not clean, green New Zealand. We're perpetuating a lie. Phosphate has become the lifeblood of our economy. So that's billions and billions of dollars and thousands and thousands of jobs. But it comes at a cost to Māori. We run the risk of our kids being poisoned every day. And to indigenous communities beyond our shores. Enough is enough. You've got away with it so far. You cannot keep doing it. Is Aotearoa profiting from others' misery? Ethically, we are okay. Legally, we're certainly okay. Ethically, we are okay. Morocco is the thief. The companies in New Zealand are purchasing stolen goods. How does it feel when you're driving home and you start getting close to the marae? Honestly, it's a bit of a black cloud. It starts attacking your mental health straight away, yeah? Because you're just surrounded by chimneys, containers, and, and you start breathing in the odours. You see plumes of dust. It really eats away at your weight. And it's eating away at the health of his people. Joel Ngātuwere says they're breathing toxic air from industry surrounding Whareroa Marae in Tauranga Moana, home to about 80 people and it's forcing them off the last of their tribal lands. Our tamariki and our kaumatua are our taonga. Mm. You know, but unfortunately for here in Whareroa and anywhere that, that there's air pollution, we run the risk of our kids being poisoned every day. Mm. You know? And it destroys... It's destroying whanau. Mm. You know, it's, it's destroying connections to whenua. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just 
It's a beautiful place and people just want to be able to live and be able to breathe. This was all once Naitirangi land. Elders tell of stories passed down by Komatua of a peaceful life here, a place to grow kai and bring up whanau. Now industry has moved in. Fuel tanks, waste containers, a major port and an airport. It's created a polluted zone with Whareroa Marae right at the centre. And residents here say their biggest worry is balanced fertiliser right next door. Do you think that balance is harming people at Whareroa Marae? No, I don't. Mark Wynne is in charge of Balance, a cooperative owned by 19,000 Kiwi farmers. The company sells them superphosphate fertiliser. This is the lifeblood of the agricultural economy. The key ingredient, phosphate rock, is imported from Western Sahara and is considered gold in New Zealand. So this literally is what makes the plants grow, whether that's grapes or wheat or uh, grass, um, this is really what makes everything grow. It drives not only our agricultural success, but our entire economy. If you stopped importing the phosphate, what would be the impact on the New Zealand economy, do you think? It would be massive. The productivity that I've read talks about a drop of roughly half of New Zealand's total exports would disappear. But there's a problem. It's contributing to bad air. There's all of the uh, associated respiratory illnesses that are connected to constantly breathing and air pollution and, and particle matter, dust. You know, I've seen our komato really struggling to breathe. I've seen children get sick and spew up. When we're out the back kicking the ball around with our kids, we're always mindful that we're all breathing in air pollution. And it's a death by a thousand guts. Well, I think any industrial manufacturer contributes to air quality. Mm -hmm. And we are a member of the industrial estate here in Tauranga. Uh, so yeah, we're definitely a contributor. How much of a contributor? Well, I don't know what the total contribution in the industrial estate is, mm -hmm. uh, but we are definitely a contributor. The Regional Council says while it's hard to pinpoint a single source of the polluted air at Whareroa, Balance was warned in 2016 for exceeding sulphur dioxide levels. The following year, it was fined more than $80,000 for discharging contaminants. That led to Balance spending $8.5 million upgrading its plant. Yet in 2018, the company contributed to more breaches at Whareroa. But it's not the only offender. The Regional Council, which has a majority stake in one of the culprits, the port, says the entire industrial zone is polluting the mount. It's a very complex and long-standing problem that's been growing. Um, so to be able to fix it overnight just isn't reasonable or practical. Jane Nees is speaking on behalf of the council because the chair, Doug Leader, declined due to a conflict of interest. He sits on the board of the port. There's so many conflicts of interest in this space when you've got regional council, when you've got the port, when you've got the industries and they're all supporting each other and regional council are si signing off the consents. Mm. Given that the regional council owns more than 50% of the port, 
the regional council would want the industry to be there, to grow. What do you say to that? Oh, well, I can understand that people might think that, but in, in if any event, the, um, the well-being of the environment is a uh, premium to us. There's been 30 breaches of air quality standards in the last two years at the Mount. The port and KiwiRail are also to blame. So we are now rewriting some of our rules to um, uh, to implement much stronger um, controls around the equality in the mount. We've enhanced our monitoring and we're doing a lot of work with, uh, uh, with all of the industry to um, make sure that they're um, obeying the terms of their consents. Joel says that's not enough. He wants to see all polluters moved out of the mount. The stand that the marae are making is, yeah, it's for, for our whānau here, but it's for all of the families down on the mount, so all, all of our children can run around either at the hockey fields or the rugby club or the netball courts. That brings us back to balance, which Joel and his whānau pinpoint for their bad air. The amount of damage that that place has done on Whareru is huge. The biggest risk to the mount is possibly balance. For Joel, the pain goes beyond his whānau, beyond these shores. It's about where this phosphate comes from, the ethics of it, the fact New Zealand is the last Western country in the world to import it from a highly contentious area in Africa called Western Sahara. Coming up, we take you to Africa, to a Moroccan-controlled territory where Indigenous people are fighting to take back their land too. And New Zealand is being accused of fueling that conflict. We ask New Zealand farmers to stop buying our phosphate. Morocco is the thief. The companies in New Zealand are purchasing stolen goods. Pressure is mounting on New Zealand to follow the lead of other countries and stop importing phosphate from disputed lands in Western Sahara. In August, the union representing Napier port workers protested the arrival of a ship carrying phosphate, describing it as a conflict mineral. Indigenous communities both here and in Western Sahara are demanding Aotearoa cease its import. The UN considers Western Sahara a disputed territory. Media are normally blocked from the region. This documentary crew gained rare access. Morocco has occupied the territory since 1975, leading to one of the world's longest running conflicts. Indigenous people, the Sahawaris, many now living in refugee camps, are still fighting to take back their land. Saharas feel like second or third citizens in their own territory. Uh, they are denied their basic rights of free expression, employment, housing, they live in poverty, and they are constantly intimidated, harassed, and in fear of being kidnapped by the Moroccan authorities. 
Kamal Fidel speaks for Polisario, which represents the pro-independence movement. What's the Sahara? is occupied by Morocco illegally. New Zealand imports rock phosphate from this Moroccan-owned mine in Western Sahara. We're now the only Western country to do so. Once in New Zealand, it's made into fertilizer, which fuels our multi-billion dollar agricultural industry. Our reliance is huge. But many Sahawaris condemn New Zealand for trading with Morocco. We ask New Zealand farmers to stop buying our phosphate. Morocco is the thief. The companies in New Zealand are purchasing stolen goods, the blood phosphates, because the money received by Morocco is used to consolidate its occupation, to maintain it, to oppress our people. Sahrawis are, are suffering because of your investments. Western Sahara activist Nazhar al-Khalidi lives in the capital, Layoun. She says she's been arrested and abused by the Moroccan military three times for drawing international attention to the Sahawari struggle on the ground. It was like about uh, five cars come after me. They just ran after me and beaten me up and took the phone like took me to the custody where I spent like four hours under ill treatment and beaten and interrogation. Oh, it's pretty sick, really. Mm. You know, you, you can't help but feel sick about what another indigenous people are experiencing to drive our agricultural system. Joel wanted to hear firsthand from Nazhar. Salam. Nobody is happy to live uh, under occupation where there is uh, no justice and no freedom, only violence and uh, poverty and uh, detentions. Sahrawi people is isolated from the world. Our heart breaks for our indigenous cousins in the Western Sahara. We will do all that we can to allow your story to be heard here in, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, especially knowing that um, our country is supporting the um, oppression of your people. Well, well, first of all, let's understand there is actually two sides to the story. Mm -hmm. it, it is a territory disputed, there is no question about that. But trading inside these disputed territories is under United Nations guideline. And in fact, the New Zealand government, along with most governments in the world, has signed up to that protocol. What we do is we go to that region to make sure that OCP, the supplier, mm -hmm. is abiding by that protocol. So I'm very comfortable that ethically we are okay, legally we're certainly okay, ethically that we are okay. The Moroccan owners of the Western Sahara mine, OCP, say all profits go back to the region. Our education programs are now delivering concrete results. And it says 75% of its workers are locals. Our health caravans travelling all around the regions benefit to the most vulnerable. So for as many people as you interview on one side, there is an equal number on the other side that can tell you a fantastic story of economic development, career pathing, female enhancement, uh, agricultural development, health programmes, education programmes. Balance CEO Mark Wynne has been hosted by OCP three times. 
When you were there, though, were you mm. able or did you try and engage with Sahawari people that weren't connected to OCP Mai? From the students in the schools and the training facilities and on the farms, yes. But were we directed to that facility by OCP? Yes, because they are the ones that are navigating our, our tour through that part of Layoon, the city. Did you consider going to the pro-independence movement and talking to them about some of their concerns, or have you done that? No, we have not done that. Uh, this is a geopolitical issue. I mean, to resolve this from 20,000 miles away, when United Nations is charged with resolving it, I'm, I'm not sure how we would add value to that conversation. Well, the tentacles of the agricultural system is far-reaching, eh? Not only is it doing damage to the lungs and the respiratory system and, and the health of New Zealand citizens, mm. we're actually causing real harm to people on the other side of the world. Mm. We're not clean, green New Zealand. We're perpetuating a lie. Balance and another New Zealand farming cooperative, Ravensdown, are now the only Western companies in the world that import phosphate from Western Sahara. Some countries have cited ethical reasons for withdrawing. Canadian companies, US companies, Norwegian companies, so many companies all over the world have stopped. New Zealand companies find themselves in their lonely position to be involved in, in Western Sahara. Enough is enough. You have done this for a long period of time. You've got away with it so far. You cannot keep doing it. But Balance says New Zealand farmers' needs are different from the rest of the world. So most of the countries that have pulled out from Western Sahara are not making superphosphate. Mm -hmm. New Zealand soils need superphosphate, which is a combination of both phosphate and sulphur. Most countries in the world are not pasture-based or grass-based systems. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs says it does not encourage or discourage trade with Western Sahara, but businesses must comply with international law. It has told both Balance and Ravensdown to look elsewhere for phosphate, though, and the companies say they are. Algeria, Togo, South Africa and Syria, but there's no action and no time frame. How, how are we pushing? Well, we've been looking for a decade, if that's any indication. Given the companies and, and farmers' heavy reliance on this rock phosphate, there's no turning a blind eye to what's going on? Yeah, no, we're not turning a blind eye, absolutely. But people in Western Sahara have accused New Zealand, in particular our Prime Minister, of turning a blind eye. In 2008, Jacinda Ardern visited Sahawari refugee camps in Algeria. At the time, she was the president of the International Union of Socialist Youth. I would like to say to her that we are already proud that you, you gave to this case your time and you visit the refugee camps. But still, we will be, we will be more proud if you uh, help us stop in this two companies from plundering the Sahrawi natural resources. It's happened before. The tiny Pacific islands of Nauru and Banaba were turned into wastelands after they were plundered for phosphate by Australia and New Zealand. We are in fear that, you know, we will face the same fate of Nauru. 
Do you connect with what people are going through in Western Sahara? Definitely. Mm. I guess, you know, when we start talking about being driven off your land, mm. we know it's the connection of them being tangata whenu and having their mana stripped away from them. Having all of these things taken from them. For what? For greed. We need to ask ourselves this question. As a country, who do we want to be? Do we want to just bury our head in the sand? He says that's what the government is doing too when it comes to air quality at Whareroa. He wrote to Ardern in August last year, a letter unanswered. I can't help but be disillusioned when you have a marae and you have Māori asking for help and almost a year on, we're yet to hear a response from her. By our actions, we are known. Next month, Joel, his wife, and their five tamariki will move from their beloved marae to cleaner air in Tauranga. It's probably the most difficult decision that we've had to make. We just want to raise our kids at, <clears throat> at their marae. That's the dream. The dream to be able to raise your tamariki at their marae. Around their kaumato, around, around their tipuna. And that's been taken away from, from our kids. Nā Cleo Fraser, rawa ko Janet McIntyre, Tera Pūrongo, and it was filmed in 2020. Next we discuss the UN Climate Change Summit. As world leaders debate how to tackle global warming at the UN Climate Change Summit being held in Scotland, Māori activists are collaborating with other Indigenous peoples to advocate for tangata whenua communities. Among them is lawyer Alison Cole, who is representing the Iwi Chairs Forum at COP26. I kōrero a John Boynton kiaia. All eyes have been on our world leaders at the 26th United Nations Climate Change Conference in Glasgow. And amongst them is the climate change lawyer representing the Iwi Chairs Forum in complex negotiations which determine climate change targets and policy. From my observations, it's one of the most important meetings for Indigenous communities. So we just need to have all of our solidarity networks activated with our Indigenous brothers and sisters globally. And for us as Māori, it's essential that we have all of that our legal principles established, putting Indigenous leadership at the forefront. As a former UN war crimes lawyer, she's having to use all her experience. There's massive barriers to entry to being here. It's really unacceptable. I mean, to, to be able to even read these legal texts that are shaping the entire future of our planet. I mean, uh, I went to Harvard Law School and Cambridge University and it's still giving me migraines. Like, it, that's a massive unacceptable barrier to entry. You talked about Māori and their relationship with the tile. You know, what are some of the impacts that your, your whanau are having to face? The fight for saving the planet and our climate, it's right at the harakeke level. 
So every day, every minute that I'm over here at Glasgow, I'm just thinking about my cousins, I'm thinking about aunties, uncles, and all our kaumata doing that um, direct kaitiakitanga work. We have so much on our plates every day with our awa and water monitoring, where I'm from. So you can see how much our big economic industries uh, really impacts negatively on our environment. So we have so much to deal with. In Taranaki, with the dairy industry and the runoff of fertilizer, poisoning our awa and um, myself personally, I'm a Tokutai Moana person. And I can see along the ocean front there, the foreshore, you can see the, the, the impacts of um, the awa coming through with all those toxins. I think we're starting to see more awareness with um, Māori research showing the impacts of climate change are here already for us Māori. With the sea level rise here in South Taranaki, we have these pretty high cliffs and those cliffs are coming down more rapidly. You can see it like with the sea level rise. Uh, and so we've lost sort of our sacred Tauranga Waka sites. You can see the fight for climate protection has, has been real for decades. At this year's conference though, young indigenous leaders have taken centre stage, including Nazi Kahununu climate justice activist India Logan Riley. And if you aren't willing to back us or let us lead, then you're complicit in the death and destruction that is happening across the globe. It is so essential and so important to have rangatahi across the board, especially rangatahi Māori, up in front leading. And I want to see more and more of that youth leadership, especially coming from local community, coming from, and I'm I'm thinking of small town communities like mine. Her main challenge to the government when it comes to reaching climate change targets is to let Māori communities lead the way. Let's be honest, if we go harder on our ambition, we will have to make substantial lifestyle changes. I personally am ready for that, you know, I want to do that. We need to say that loud and clear. We need to be aware that's what it means, that we have to change our lifestyle and we need to have proactive leadership from Māori to enable all of the lessons learned from the COVID impact on Māori to come through in the climate space. Yeah, and uh, that's the message that we need to come together and say to our political leadership because they are just acting on where we are at um, because they're acting on the election cycle and our votes. Now John Boynton, Tera Pūrongo. Now, last week we reported on Tipani Halford, who served five and a half years for breaching his parole conditions. Tipani appeared before the parole board on Friday and will be released later this month. We'll keep you posted. Kuhikana tehui ehuama, nohoromaira.